Thanks for listening to our podcast. The following is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us on Sunday mornings. For more details, visit us online at orchardbible.org. Today's scripture reading is from Amos 5, verses 1 through 9 and verse 24. This is the word of God. Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land, with none to rise her up. For thus says the Lord, the city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live But do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal, or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood, and cast down righteousness to the earth, He who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkness the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. Verse 24, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word this morning. We thank you for it. And we ask that its work would be mighty in us. As we gather around it and give you thanks for it, Lord, we acknowledge how great our need is for it to guide us and direct us. And Lord, give us courage to do what it says even when it's hard, even when it means we might need to crucify our flesh as we follow after you. Bless us this morning through the preaching of your word. Amen. You may be seated. What is just? What is justice? What does justice look like in real life? How is justice brought about? Perspective matters a lot when it comes to justice, doesn't it? If you're oppressed or bearing the burden of injustice, justice must look and feel like liberation. But what about if you're the oppressor? The unjust one. Justice must look and feel like judgment. Perhaps you've considered these questions before, maybe even in the past few weeks in this series that we're in in Amos. Well, I think that Amos 5 answers these questions. Some hopeful and some dire. Depending on the seat that you sit in, the one of the oppressed or the one of the oppressor. And I'll be honest, Amos has been a hard one for me to study. 
not hard in that it's some kind of complex message that isn't clear or understandable, but it's hard because it confronts me. It confronts my sense of justice, what I think is just and right. I've been studying and ruminating on this text, honestly, for months. And earlier this summer, I got to sit down for lunch with a brother in Christ from the Chicago area. He preaches in his church. He is a professor of Bible at Moody Bible Institute. I was sharing with him some of my discomfort as I studied this chapter, and, and we together were preparing this series in Amos, and I said something to him like, it's just so in your face, like it's unavoidable. It confronts us. His reply to me with emphasis and a smile was, Paul, God's word should confront us. So this morning, may God's word comfort and confront us where we need it to, whichever one of those it is that we need. Amos 5 shows us what justice rolling down looks like. This chapter is a loving poem of lament and appeal as God pleads with Israel to seek him and live while pointing out their unjust acts. Amos 5 also gives us a hopeful hint about God's justice that will roll down like mighty waters and flow forth like an ever-flowing stream. Now, we have seen what Amos hadn't. It is at the cross and through the cross where we see justice rolling down like mighty waters. And it's why we can be a people who pursue justice and righteousness. We cannot be a gospel people devoid of or disconnected from the pursuit of justice. We'll see this as we look today at God's word through Amos to Israel. This text gives us our bearing as we seek to be a people of Christ, a people that love God and neighbor, doing justice as we pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. So to start, justice rolling down looks like loving lament. The first part of our text for today Verses 1 through 17 are a beautiful poem that capture this feeling of loving lament. These verses are a chiasm. It's hard for me to describe, so Lily put a slide together for me. The structure of these first verses help us see some of the strategy that Amos had, the intentionality that he had to communicate this message. The format goes from part A to B to C to D as the center, and then it goes back C, B, A. And the slide, again, does a better job showing this. You can see that verses 1 through 3 are mirrored in intent and focus by verses 16 and 17, and the same mirroring in verses 4 through 6 with 14 and 15, and then verse 7 and 10 through 13. Here are verses 1 through 3 and 16 and 17 read together. Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel. 
forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. In verse 16, Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing, and in all the streets they shall say, Alas, alas. They shall call the farmers to mourning and to wailing those who are skilled in lamentation. And in all the vineyards there shall be wailing. For I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. And God is just and righteous. But his chosen nation, Israel, is perpetrating unrighteousness and injustice. So we see God's lament, both at their injustice and for the pending judgment of Israel that looms large. He compares Israel to a virgin maiden and to a deserted city after it's been plundered and left. The city squares will turn from a place of fellowship and community gathering and commerce to places of mourning and wailing. The places of produce and prosperity on farms and vineyards will become desolate halls of wandering and weeping as God's judgment rolls down on his own wayward people. Now, this is both God's lament and a foretelling of the lamenting that his people will do. Think about this for a minute. Think about what God has done to this point for Israel. I mean, he chose Abraham and made a covenant with him. He preserved Isaac and Jacob through adversity and controversy. Joseph was sold into slavery and had a sojourn in Egypt, and eventually the whole nation of Israel was enslaved there. And God freed them and brought them into the promised land with many ups and downs. Remember the waywardness in that first generation in the desert after Egypt? How God waited and was patient with them. Eventually they made it to the promised land in Canaan. And then think of the work that God did through the judges to preserve his nation. And then King David and the covenant with him The nation was flourishing. God's temple, his dwelling place with his people was built. And now we're in Amos. The nation is divided. They're worshiping other gods, blaspheming his name. And it all led to the mistreatment of the poor, the underprivileged, the downtrodden. It led to unjust and idolatrous handling of civil matters in their community. Amos, and and God for that matter, isn't indifferent or emotionless about this. His love and longing for Israel to be united with him causes intense anguish and deep lament at their sin. As we ask what justice rolling down looks like, it first includes lament at injustice and the judgment that it will bring. We lament when we see injustice. 
We lament at the thought of the judgment that we know will ensue when it's not corrected. God is just. He cannot, he won't allow wickedness forever. And it'll be a terrible day when God's wrath is poured out against it. Injustice at first glance should hurt our hearts. It should stop us in our tracks. It should offend our consciences. Because we know and understand that image bearers of our great creator weren't created to live under the weight of sin and the injustices that come with it. As Christ followers, we understand loving lament at injustice because we see it in the heart of God here in Amos. Now, we aren't in the position of Amos or God lamenting the nation of Israel, but when we see sin and depravity lived out in unjust ways systematically or in individual circumstances, we must lament, brothers and sisters, and we need to take action. And we lament because we know that rebellion from God, whether under a so-called Christian banner or a pagan one, just like it was for Israel, equals God's judgment and destruction. And so this morning, if we call Christ our Savior, we have some introspection to do about this. As American Christians, I get nervous that we are quick to decry what we feel like is injustice towards our own tribe. When we have been dispassionate or silent about injustice that doesn't affect us. Do we spend more time lamenting what, be, what might be an encroachment on our freedom in an American civic life than we do about the fact that our neighbors might perish eternally without Christ, our priorities might be off. I'm not saying we should be disengaged from politics. We should be engaged. But don't sell out to the narrative that you get from a political pundit. A better civic government isn't going to preach the gospel for us. That's the church's job. That's your job and my job. Our lament mirrors God's. We lament injustice, whether or not it affects us directly, and we work to change it with our actions. After loving lament that we see from God for his people's sin and the foretelling of the lamentation that will happen in Israel, we see Amos call Israel to seek God and live. Justice rolling down includes a call to seek God and live. Now this call is simultaneously a call to repent, to turn away from sin and to come to him in faith and submission. Read with me in verses 4 through 6 and then 14 and 15. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile and Bethel come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. Verse 14. 
seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said, hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Amos pleads with the nation to seek God, to turn from their wicked ways and to follow after him. And notice that he specifically calls out where not to go worship God. Not at Bethel or Gilgal or Beersheba. These places have become Israel's idolatrous centers for the syncretism that had happened with other nations, gods, and religions. These were places where Israel's wickedness and injustice was perpetrated and even promoted. And notice God's patience and his love while pleading with Israel to repent yet again. I don't think our application on this point is that much different than it is for Israel. Seek God and live. Our context might be different than theirs, but we need to turn away from our sins. <laughs> don't go to your idols. Don't go to the things that you have in the past for false identity, for false hope, false comfort. Go to God. Have you noticed in Amos how the Lord roaring, we talked about that in the first week, isn't primarily about other nations. It's about Israel. He's focused on his people. And so as we prayerfully consider seeking God so that we might live, it's wise for us to start with our own lives and our own church. Now consider repentance. What is it that you need to turn from? Consider the idols that you've torn down in your life. You probably know what they are. Aren't they easy to go back to? Now we can consider the sins of the culture for sure. Those are generally fairly easy for us to pick off and talk about because they're probably more blatant to us, aren't they? And don't get me wrong, there's a time and a place to call those out to tell the culture that they're getting it wrong so that they might seek God and live. But we start with our own hearts and with our own church. One of the commentators that I read for this text, Gary Smith, said this. When God's promises become more important to people than his character and presence, a deceptive hope can easily arise. That's exactly what Israel was doing, clinging to the covenants, but not the implications of them. The implications that they were to be in fellowship with God, walking with him and honoring him and obeying him. But they were far, far from him. So in what ways do we like God's promises to us in the gospel more than we like his character and presence in our lives at Orchard? Are we seeking God and following his commands for our lives? Or are we seeking what makes us comfortable? I think American Christians struggle with that sometimes. It's one of the idols from the culture of the American dream that has found its way into our hearts and into our churches, I think. 
Do we value comfort in the American dream over obedience to Christ? And when we identify things like this, we need to turn away from them and not go back. We need to seek God and live. Now, this call to seek God and live is for all of us, but in a special way this morning, right now, this call is for anyone who hasn't placed their faith in Christ. If this is you, you need to know that you and I, all of us, were made to live in constant fellowship with God. But sin changed our ability to do that. But God has made a way for us to be brought back to him, and that is through his son, Jesus. Again, if this is you, the call is to put your faith in Christ. Don't trust in yourself to deliver yourself. Trust in Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10, common to many of us, says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Seek God and live. And we've seen that justice rolling down looks like loving lament in light of injustice. We've seen that justice rolling down includes a call to turn away from sin and to seek God. And now we see that justice rolling down includes acknowledging evidence of injustice. Now through his prophet, Amos, God accuses Israel of injustice. He calls attention to the incongruence of their words about him and their actions as a nation. David had been given instruction for how to follow him, for how to be obedient to him, but they exchanged their call to fellowship with him for rituals, ceremonies, and other idols. This evidence is in the injustice that they now foster and perpetrate. In such a state, God's judgment is coming for them on the day of the Lord. Let's read verses 7 and then 10 through 13. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. Verse 10. They hate him who reproves in the gate and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins, you who afflict the righteous and who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Israel had turned justice into bitterness, and they were practicing this unrighteousness. They hated truth-tellers, People who told the truth. The city gate was where justice was decided by the elders of their communities. But the city gates had turned into a place of corruption. And elders were paid off with bribes. And instead of justice being upheld, it was trampled on. And the most destitute and needy in the community paid the price. 
And Israel thought that they would be safe. They, after all, were God's chosen nation, and God couldn't abandon them. They were looking forward to the day of the Lord, when in fact they should have been fearing it. Let's read verses 18 through 23. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offering of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. In their religion and ritual, Israel was hoping in the day of the Lord. What they didn't realize was that the day of the Lord would mean judgment and destruction, not salvation. The day of the Lord would be vengeance, not peace or prosperity. And verse 21 again says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. The bitterness of injustice that the nation is perpetrating makes their external rituals incite the Lord against them even more. Justice rolling down looks wrathful to those who perpetrate injustice. Justice rolling down is a, a fearful thing when the evidence has mounted and reveals that one's works are about disobediently building their own kingdom instead of God's. Justice rolling down is a terrible thing for those who've turned God's commands into outward rituals that are disconnected from the heart instead of inward reformations and a heart of worship and devotion to him. So how does this apply? Well, is there incongruence in your life, in our life together? Is there a disparity between your professed faith in Christ and the action and fervor that you have for justice? Now, at some level, every one of us would answer, yes, there's a disparity. Certainly, we're imperfect in our pursuit of obedience to God. But I'm talking about blind spots. Israel had a really big one. In what ways are we blind to the incongruence of our faith in Christ and how we live out our love for God and neighbor by being justice seekers? It's a challenging question. One that will take the Holy Spirit's help to answer for sure. Let me share a story about when God brought down the curtain of disparity in my life just a few years ago. I was here at church one Sunday morning during one of our ministry spotlights. We do those almost every week. That Sunday was a spotlight on Alternatives Pregnancy Center. Now, my whole life, I would say that I have been what we would refer to as a pro-life person. I've always been for babies. I want them to be born. 
I don't want them to be aborted. That hasn't changed. But something did change for me that Sunday. And I can only really attribute it to the Lord's spirit working in me through the information that was shared by one of my brothers. Suddenly I started to see that it wasn't just some intellectual thing. It wasn't a pro-life vote in November. Now maybe those are outward signs of my ethics and they were they aren't wrong. But I began to see that where my time and my energy and my money went really mattered. There were real people in real situations, people I didn't know in situations that I couldn't relate with, wrestling with whether or not they should keep the baby for reasons like some of them had to decide between medical care, bills, and money, and rent. Some of them felt irresponsible to think of keeping the baby because they felt ill-equipped to provide for it and to raise it well. They were put between a rock and a hard place, and suddenly it wasn't my vote that was on my mind. It was my time and my energy, my focus and devotion in some tangible ways that I was made aware of that day. Was my time and energy and devotion, my money, was it the same place that Jesus's would be? Because I can assure you, he cares about the least of these. Men and women in situations like the ones I've mentioned. And with the Lord's help, I started to see that this ministry needed those things for me. It needed my money. Was I willing to give sacrificially, even if it meant that I had to say no to something I really wanted? I looked for ways to volunteer with them, to help their cause, supporting women with unwanted pregnancies, so that ones without a voice would have an advocate. So that mothers that felt irresponsible giving birth knew that there was a way to go forward choosing a life. Now, I'd, I'd love to tell you that I give more time and money and energy to all those things for alternatives or for other. There's, there's so many other good things. But that's not even the main point. The point is that the Lord changed me that day in that moment. He helped me see the disparity in what I said I cared about and what I really actually cared about in my actions. Now, I, I'd argue that the Lord helped me care for justice at the most important level that day, the level that I can do something about today. And I think Satan loves it when we get distracted from justice at our own level. Bentley mentioned a number of wonderful places in our community that are focused on these kind of things. Satan loves it when we're distracted from the simple way that we can show Christ's love to people through practical means. Now, I'm not sure if this is a uniquely American problem or not. It could be that it's our secular age where we're told that we're super important and we're in charge of our life. And your opinion's a big deal. It really matters what you think. 
But voting seems like one of the slowest and worst ways to get change. I mean, we try to lobby other people through social media, and that doesn't seem to be moving the needle. It just seems to be polarizing things even further. But we can touch real lives and real situations where injustice is happening just by being present with the people that God's put around us. By asking for the Holy Spirit's direction as we rub shoulders with our neighbors and coworkers and friends. And spending time listening, getting to know people. Maybe some of them who are abused or mistreated, wounded, or discriminated against. And we do this by proclaiming the gospel and helping stop unjust things from happening. And church, we might need to go find these people. They might not be coming in our doors. They might not be ringing your doorbell. But God's word compels me to think that we should probably be going to theirs. We're a city on a hill, after all. We're to be salt and light in dark places. And we prayerfully consider those who are disadvantaged around us, that God is calling us to care for and provide for. If we don't get in line with what God cares about, our works will be revealed on the day of the Lord to be separate from Christ. We'll be winnowed. Israel didn't think that it could be them, but it was. This brings us to number four in your outlines. Justice rolling down comes from the Lord. And despite Israel's injustice, God's justice won't be thwarted. Let's read verses 25 through 27. Verse 25. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sikuth, your king, and Kayun, your star god, your images that you made for yourselves, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Now, just like Israel had in the wilderness outside of Egypt, they have now turned to other places. They have looked to man-made idols. And in Acts chapter 7, right before Stephen was stoned to death, he actually quoted those verses to show that the Jews in his time had done the same thing. They had exchanged the true worship of God for rituals and idols of their own making. God made the stars. Israel wasn't to worship them. They were to worship him. And justice comes from the Lord, not from creation or idols made with human hands. Let's go back to verses 8 and 9. He who made Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. <laughs> yes, justice comes from the Lord and he doesn't struggle to execute justice. 
He is righteous and will punish injustice. He made galaxies and he separated night from the day. He separated the waters from the land. He's not dismayed by the strong in creation. He's sovereign over them all. And this hymn to the Lord in the middle of the chiasm, verses 8 and 9, tethers everything that's happening to Israel and being carried out against Israel to God. It reminds us that justice will be executed by the Lord despite the fact that it might look like God's mission is failing. When injustice is perpetrated by God's own people, it looks as if his mission isn't going to make it. Both in Israel's day and in ours. But these verses remind us that despite the mission looking bleak, he will not fail. No, justice comes from the Lord. This brings us to verse 24 where we read, But let justice roll down like mighty waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. (laughs) Amos says this in the midst of a dire prediction of Israel's destruction. Justice meant they were going to be destroyed. It's probably because I think of Martin Luther King's speech here, where it was a hopeful thing. But how could this ever stir hope? I mean, justice rolling down meant judgment for Israel. So how could this pronouncement of justice rolling down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream ever be good news? I'm sure it sounded like good news to the ones who were oppressed in Israel that heard this and thought that finally they'd be delivered from the corruption of those in power. But I think it's good news for more than just the oppressed. I think it's good news for the oppressed and the oppressor who repents and seeks God because of Jesus. This verse is good news for all because of him. Psalm 14 and 53 both tell us that there's none who does good, not even one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So justice is coming for us all because of our unrighteousness. But even this bad news is good. Because if God isn't just, that's really bad. I mean, he'd be some cosmic terror, unpredictable, tyrannical. We need to fear him because he's bad, not because he's just and righteous. But this verse is good news because God is just and righteous. Justice comes from the Lord And he has made a way for us to be made righteous. God has provided justice. He poured out his perfect justice on his son. In his lament for his people and in his desire to restore creation and glorify his name, he sent his son Jesus to be the absorber of his wrath. God is the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is where justice starts, at the cross, where God poured out his wrath to make righteous, 
to make right that that was wrong. And now those who are his, those who've put their faith in him, work in unison with him. His mission is to bring his kingdom here on the earth through the work of the Holy Spirit in and through the church. He taught us to pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His will is that justice and righteousness would advance for the sake of his name. That's how he made us to live. And he wants lost souls to turn from sin, to seek God and live. And so, brother and sister, we herald the king. We announce his rule and his reign. The one who came was slain to make things right. And so we work for justice. We lovingly lament when we see injustice. When we see suffering at the hand of wickedness and corruption. And we call people to seek God and live. Both the oppressed and the oppressors. We need not shy away from injustice when we see it. Thinking that we'll be punished or persecuted. Justice rolling down includes acknowledging the evidence that we see of injustice. And we draw attention to it using what is true and right from God's word as our standard. And we exalt the Lord as the remedy. And this requires our life's actions, not just our words, both our words and our actions. Now, Amos didn't say that the trickle of God's justice won't stop. He didn't write that it would drip, drop like an old leaky faucet. He said, let it roll down like mighty waters, like an ever-flowing stream that won't run dry. And by his grace and in his time, justice and righteousness will roll down like mighty waters and flow like an everlasting stream. This vision is in part only to be fully realized at Christ's second coming. He'll bind Satan, injustice and unrighteousness will be eternally damned and removed from the new heavens and the new earth. But until that day, we work for it to be realized now. Our message about Christ cannot be separated from our life's action. Our time and money and energy need to be where our message is. And that's with Christ, with causes that further his name, that prevent injustice, bring it to light. And may the Lord lead us. May he give us insight and wisdom to honor him. And may he help us to see blind spots in our lives and in our fellowship. And may our work at the end of time be found to the praise and honor and glory of his name. Amen. Please stand and I'll close in prayer. Oh, Father, we bow before you now. And this vision that we see in Amos, Lord, we're thankful for it. We're thankful for the hope that it stirs in us when so much around us seems unjust. And we look through history even, hundreds and thousands of years, and we think of the injustice that's happened.
And Lord, we lament it. We lament it when we see it around us and we see it in our time. And Lord, we pray that you would lead us by your spirit as your church to work for it now. Help us to be faithful in that. Lead us today. Convict us and confront us where we need to change, where our message is disparate from what our life's action is about. So guide and direct us to this end. Again, we thank you for your word. Go with us now in your grace.